Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive 2014 Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem, too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick-and-mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great! I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great! Get this, Noble Knight has all that, at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've got to check it out. You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is, since you're listening to a podcast about the minutiae of tabletop RPGs. People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses Noble Knight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. Welcome to the storytelling in the Realm panel. That's what you're here for, right? You're all here for the right panel. Which panel? Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was short. Wow. (laughs) Wow, I miss Mike already. (laughs) Sweet, I'm doing my job right. If you love Mike and and hate me by the end of the night, we're perfect. Not you guys. Just just Bob. So yeah, I am actually playing the part of Mike Morrell today. Unfortunately, he was swamped and swamped and swamped with stuff. So you actually get to hear these lovely people talk more and Mike slash me talk less. So that probably ends up for the best. Um, so we are here to talk about storytelling in the room. So surprise, surprise, the great people up here have, are, and will be writing stories uh, for the realms in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, if you don't recognize them, you will after all of this is over, I'm sure. Um, so actually, yeah, let's go ahead and just do introductions from left to right. We'll start with Wolfgang over here. Sure. Uh, my name is Wolfgang Bauer. I am the publisher at Kobold Press. Uh, we're a small press outfit that publishes things like the Kobold Guide to Magic and other things like the Horde of the Dragon Queen. <laughs> we do design work for Wizards of the Coast and we do storytelling in the tabletop RPG format. That's me and Steve Winter. Hi, my name's Ed. I design the realms. <laughs> Hi, my name is Bob, and I play in the realms. <laughs> and I'm Troy, and I played in the realms for a long time, then I was gone for a long time, and now I'm back playing in the realms. We dragged him back. So to talk about a little bit where we're going, where we're at now, let's kind of take a step back and talk about where we just were with the Sundering, right? So how many people here know what the Sundering is? Even tendentially a little bit, all right. So, us too. Huh? What? Are you asking us? It's going to be a quiz just for Bob when we're all done. We I all never actually done. figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, actually that's, that's an interesting point. I, I think when we were when we were doing it and the way we, we did the author stuff, we were pretty vague about what was going on with the Sundering and how it would all tie in together and how like all the stories were, were tying into each other. So, quick recap. There's some big points, right? The the gods were, were 
pulling pawns around all over the place. They had these, they had these chosen that they were granting powers, and, and then they were using those chosen to do things, like, in the world. Because they, for most of them, some of them, at least, thought that, that by doing so they could gain power or move power around or set situations up in their favor. Because they couldn't directly influence things, but apparently giving someone power and having them do stuff isn't directly influence. Um, so you, you, you get cool stuff, like uh, Farida, for example, is Aaron's character. I'll talk about that since she's not here. She was a, a chosen, uh, and she... she uh, kind of did some stuff that she was kind of surprised of. And these guys can talk about other chosen stuff shortly. Um, and then there was also, there was the Ibertoral, uh interesting coming apart stuff, which kind of kind of gets the, there more at the end. But that was the, some of the thing that, early on in the story, you don't really hear anything about. You just know these chosen are doing stuff. And then throughout the story, you find more about the, these, these, the, the world-changing events, which I can let you guys talk more about. Um, but yeah, so you guys up here had a big part to play in you know, those stories of those chosen and, and how, how the worlds are coming apart. So which one of you wants to start with, with how your story fit into the summary and what happened? I think you start with the beginning. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, to, to talk about the sundering, I think that Ed and I both should talk a little bit about the long-time plans that we had brewing in our heads. To world domination. World domination <laughs> through baloney. Um, <laughs> when we did fourth edition, when Wizards did fourth edition, they basically called us into a room and handed us a book and said, here are the realms, you're going to love it. And we walked, Ed and I walked out of the room, and Ed looked at me and he goes, what are we going to do? Because they just advanced the world 100 years on us. And for people like me using human characters, it's... You know, I'm like, 130-year-old people don't fight well. <laughs> um, so we just said we were going to take the long game. We were gonna do, and so I think both of us right then started figuring out if the realms ever needed a, a freshening up, here's some things we were going to do. And for me, the, the idea was if you're trying to bring the realms back to that 1987-88 feeling, if you're trying to bring it back to the gray box, now that 100 years have passed, you have to involve the gods. And so how would the gods make sure that their favorites who were kind of put aside could come back? And that's what The Companions was all about. And it, it was a book I was terrified to write, I'll be honest, um, because of the premise. If you just talk about the premise kind of off to the side, you go, What? But as soon as I started writing it, it felt so right. And it really did feel like 1988 again. In fact, I signed that book. It feels like 1988 (laughs) again all the time. Um, And the whole point for me with the Sundering, the whole thing, I think my, actually these two guys contributed a lot more than I did at the summits because these old school TSR Oh man, they were they were off and running. He's up at the whiteboard. We can't we can't we have a summit and we can't get two minutes into it. And Troy's at the whiteboard. Right? No, Troy's going a whiteboard. Oh, we whiteboard. Have four yeah. whiteboards. Yeah, yeah. It, it's this is like white writing. We do have, yeah, you have giant wall sized whiteboards. Yeah, and he was filling them rooms full of whiteboards. And, but for me, the whole thing I wanted to work on the realms was tone. I wanted to get back to that feeling that the hero wins and that it's hopeful and that you never give up the hope that things are going to get better. And that's what the realms always were to me. And then that seemed to get a lot darker. Like everything seems to be getting darker in the genre, if you will. And I wanted to get back to that. And so that's really 
that was the guiding light when I did the companions. And the next book would be yours. Yep. Even though it wasn't, because yeah. his was last. There was, there was a couple books in between, and then I wrote the, the fifth book. So there was three books. Three books in between. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote the, the fifth book, and, um, you know, I, I introduced a, a new, new characters, uh, Cleef Kendrick, who is a, he was an embittered paladin who's had worshipped his family, had been worshipping this god, Helm, for like a hundred years since he died. And Cleef couldn't bring himself not to worship him, but he was really upset because he never got any support. And uh, during the course of the book, he discovers that he's getting a lot more support than, than he realized. And, uh, it's kind of a, the story of his self uh, story of Cleef's self discovery and the self discovery of a young noble woman who always believed she was chosen uh, just because she thought she should be. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she'd had a pure heart, so it's a story of her self-discovery. And one of the, the when I found out that, that he was bringing a bunch of characters back from a hundred years, I said, "Oh boy, can I bring back Malik, <laughs> who um, was my uh, the chosen of Siric in the Crucible, the Trial of Siric the Mad, way back the fifth Avatar book. So it, it's a long, long time ago." Well, that was, no, that was one of the fundamental yeah. things, though. When I, w I was actually at Gen Con, and I had done my Afternoon with Bob talk, and James Wyatt was the moderator. And when I got done, everyone left, and James and I were the only two in the, in the room. And he said, I don't know what we're going to do, because we really, you know, we've got so many characters that we have got to bring back. And, and I said, James, sit down. I've been thinking about this for six years. Ed and I figured this out a long time ago. And the whole premise was... They shouldn't, you shouldn't do one thing to bring back all these characters because different gods would do it different ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Maliki, exactly. it would be rebirth. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sirica would be redeath. Sirica <laughs> <laughs> left his chosen wandering the fugue plane for a hundred years. There you go. Yeah, just because he couldn't figure out what to do with him. <laughs> Until he needed him again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to inspire insanity. It's like, I'm going to make you wander around. You'll be yeah. crazier when this is all done. It's great. Yeah. Perfect. And, uh, so that was, I mean, I, the way I got involved was Bob called me up and said, hey, would you talk to Watsi about, you know, coming out and being involved in a project? And I said, well, since you're asking, sure. You know, because Bob and I are good friends. And, and by the time I got out there, we had like three days of meetings. And by the time I got back, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to do yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was calling on my other publishers saying, you've got to make room, guys. You've got to make room. And that speaks to the process. And I, I have to interject this right now. And this goes to Mike Merles, I think, more than anybody. Because Mike came to, to me and to Ed, and he said, you know, how do we do this? And one of the things I said was, you know, you really got to grab – Troy Denning and get him back in the fold because he was working so in the realms in the early realms but at the same time he was also doing lots of game design work knows how to work on a team and he and I just love his writing and I think Ed agreed and mm -hmm. Mike said will you call him for us and that goes to the process this was so different the way Wizards has handled this from the beginning has been an author's dream so that, and I think that's why I'm, I'm, I had no doubts that we were going to pull this off and it was going to be pretty cool. And the process was correct all the way through. And that, go, that goes to the Wizards team. They really, it was amazing. And, and I want to, I mean, Bob's being great. If you went to the previous panel, you got a little bit more of what happened there. But the, the previous one, we went from three to four, and, we, and the story was, it's like, here's the story. They were great, but it's like, 
again, 100 years, killing off your characters, being told all the stuff that, that you have no control over. That's not great. We didn't say that's, great. No, no, no. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, so I guess I should say, like, they worked with it, right? You said, you, you, you yeah. Said, like you said before, we're going to bite our time. And, and I will admit that the fourth edition forced me to go places I hadn't expected to go and I think made my story better. So for that, you know, that, I, I, I absolutely admit that. I love seeing... I, I don't want to ruin things for people that have this stuff. I love seeing what category the game, for example. Yes. Like, I love... Like, I had, I had no clue that was going to happen. And that was... That was it. It, really made you, it really made you stretch as a writer. Yeah, well... So. I'll, I'll just, like, so, so I would say we didn't do it the best way that time. And it's really important as we moved into this new one and went to the Sundering and, and then like, afterwards Tyranny Dragons and just going forward that we were doing it the right way. And, and the right way is, hey, here's what's going on. What do you guys want to do? Yeah, how would this affect the realms? Yeah. And then you get these two guys at the whiteboard telling us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, 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 was, that was super refreshing to me to actually see that come about. And I did the last book in, of the six, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody here who hasn't read it now. Um, <clears throat> it was both a blessing and a curse. And the curse part was the last book in a series that is world-shaking or world-important because the world is changing should tie up all loose ends. That's the expectation of somebody who's been a reader of all sorts of genres for years. It can't in this case for two reasons. One, the practical reason of I could read the first three books before my deadline to turn in the last one. (laughs) I couldn't read the fourth and fifth, (laughs) because their deadline was just about the same time as mine. And then one of us was late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's no way I can do what the ideal thing would be and say, oh, and then we'll tell you what happened, and and, oh, yes, and and me to read through all the books and break down all the little, and come up with a row or a clipboard or probably several tables worth of boxes I had to tick in the last book. And then, of course, the other problem with that is... um, yeah, and we can be a little flexible on world, word count, but 350,000 words is not an option. You know? <laughs> so it has to come in as, an, as a normal book. Well, the, this proved to be a blessing in disguise because the thing that we love to pl- do in the realms, that we love to play in, is to play with the ideas, and inevitably that means you paint in all the corners, all the vague stuff, you fill in the blanks. But if you are to enjoy the realms, if you are to play in the realms at your gaming table, just when you're daydreaming, if you're writing fanfic for yourself, you know, you have to have breathing space. And that's the blessing part of the Herald because I can't tie up all the loose ends because some of the decisions haven't been made yet for how the world will be. You know, which gods will come back? You know, I need the list. You know, and, 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 of course, we've already set up this thing where suddenly everybody and their maiden aunt is a chosen. And their, their maiden aunt is a chosen because the gods think that if the Tablets of Fate are going to be rewritten, if they happen to be a minor god, they could end up a greater god if they have enough mortal influence. And so they're, they're getting their chosen to do stuff. And so you, okay, well, who made it? They can't all win. You know, oh, okay, so, but that hasn't been decided. Okay, so I can't talk about that. I can't decide that for everybody. And it would be a lousy way to write a novel 
to turn it into a plot summary for the last three pages and said, oh, by the way, this guy wins, this, kind of, this kingdom falls, the, 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 do the list, and bye. You know, I mean, that's the worst way in the world to end a novel. So the best way to write a novel is to zero in and tell the tale of how the sundering affects this person and, and therefore the small group of char- relatively small group of characters they interact with. And, of course, because I had a huge battle going on, there was a relatively large number of characters they interacted with, usually by going... (laughs) (laughs) And the cast got smaller. Yeah. (laughs) But but there is that breathing space. Now, I realize that that causes some controversy in that a lot of people go, that couldn't have happened that way. He wrote it wrong. And then the gamer next to them say, what are you talking about? It didn't happen that way. Sure, it says right here on page 32, so-and-so died. Are you sure? Because I didn't read it that way. And it's like, God, he's a lousy writer. You know, because we couldn't figure out whether he died or not. Well, I was being deliberate about that. Because in the fog of war, people see and conclude different things. And at the same time, we're leaving it open. If I kill off a blacksmith in High Moon, and that blacksmith you had just settled on was going to be really important in your campaign... I don't want to give you that gift. (laughs) But in this way, I can tell a a tale that tells you how much it matters to the people while it's happening to them without being quite so specific about every last detail. For that, we're going to have a decade of source books. (laughs) (laughs) Plans already in place over here. Scratch and sniff centerfolds. Wait for the future. Might, might, that's something we might have to license out. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Get on that, Wolfgang. Yeah. Uh, a decade worth of source books sounds great. There you go. Good answer. Collect them all. That's the way that works. Um, so, yeah, that's the basis of the Sundering. So, we talked about Ao and the tablets at the end and, and all the gods kind of, kind of finding their place again. Uh, do some gods come back? Do are some gods reborn? Are some gods shifted? It's like this. Uh, we talk about the unreliable narrator, but for me, it's also unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. Like having unanswered questions is really important for for the stories to continue over here, and also for the stories continue, to continue out there. If you guys have all the answered questions, then there's less inspiration. Not that there's not inspiration. We're good at making crap up. Uh, but there's less inspiration that you could pull from. It's like, oh, he killed this guy, or this time was wiped off the map, or this guy became king. Like if you know all those details. It's, uh, for me, it's less fun. And I think that's something that we really stress going forward. Is is there was this, there was another big realms earth shaking event, and it, and it's wrapped up. I'll put that in, in quotes. Um, and now it's time for everybody else's stories, right? Like there's there's all of this kind of turmoil and power shifting and a little bit of chaos as things start to settle down. And now it's the it's as as that's happening, some of the powers are moving around, and that's where the the, the Tyrion dragon story t- takes. Or comes into place. We have we have the cult of the dragon, and they've they've discovered a new part of their prophecy, or, or the, the prophecy might have been mistaken. And then there's at least a, a subset of them that are trying to do something else, and it's starting to have uh, an, a larger effect on on, on you know the, the, the western realms and, and, and elsewhere. Um, so I don't want to spoil too much of that again. But so that this is where we, what brings us to now, where we are training dragons, and everybody up here can talk now. We'll pay you to talk about yes. this part. So, um, who wants to start talking about Tyranny Dragons and, and where they're going with it without... Oh, I just want to underscore what you just said. Oh, okay. 
to get into this country, every time I have to go through customs from Canada. And they always ask you all sorts of questions, like, uh, why do you want to visit our country, sir? (laughs) And and, what do you do for a living? So I usually say, I make shit up for a living. (laughs) You know, because, hey, Canadians are nothing if not honest. So the guy always says, oh, so you're a diplomat. (laughs) At least that's what he said this time. So that underscores what you were just saying about the the realms and what's happening. It's, It's all, and so it is incredibly important that we present the right shit. (laughs) well for tyranny of dragons the storytelling i do is of course the gaming side of things and with steve winter as my co-writer on the board of the dragon queen uh we started with the bad guys and finished with the bad guys right we are creating a gameable space of things to hack and slay but for storytelling purposes, we really identify with the bad guys, and the cult of the dragon, as uh, as we just heard, was has re-engineered its processes to be more efficient, to bring you <laughs> the business of destruction and world domination in a smarter way. Right? They've gotten rid of. Oh, we're going into spoiler territory here, uh, right? Uh, um, the multinational has reconfigured itself <laughs> for international synergies in new forms of logistical delivery. I was in that meeting last week, actually. Yes. 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 No, it, it, the Dragon Queen is the new element in the Cult of the Dragon, right? They say, hey, maybe Tiamat and dragons have something to do with each other. The cult like, has this brilliant idea. Um, we're going to win! We're going to win! <laughs> with... It's, it, is, it is a lovely, it's a lovely like, step one, step two, step three scheme with parts missing. With parts We're going to summon Tiamat and win. Yes, step two, <laughs> conquer no. the sword coast, step three, win. But, but it, I, I think it's very timely, because at this time of year, we see lots of sports teams in training mm. camps. And it's the cell... What? No, <laughs> and, and, and preseason games. And you're selling your fans on hope by saying, and we got this guy, and we got this guy, and our this is stronger, and our this is, and we bolstered this. It's all going to work. This is like every sports team says, our team's going to win, yeah. and that's what but the they Cult of the Dragons say. They can't all yeah, win. This season, yeah. the Red Sox are going. Oh, wait, they did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the wow. Cult of the Dragons. <laughs> This panel was so much better yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. I mean, it's Ed. It's Ed. It's not you. You're doing great. It's Ed. Sweet. I'm not getting blamed. <laughs> I just did a signing with him and spent the no, whole no, time but, like, get away from me. <laughs> but, but you see, the point is, everybody thinks if you do X, Y, and Z, there's always a formula. It's going to win. Yes. But you... And Boston is usually right. Fine. I'm a Canadian. I, I've got yeah. no horse in this He's a Canadian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's where you hit each other's balls with wooden bats, right? <laughs> and try to hit them out of the park, right? That explains the a dragons lot. dragons come into this again. Yeah. I'm sorry. Aren't you like... Don't you live near Toronto? Yeah. Don't they have a team that hits each other's balls with wooden bats? Sure. There you go. Yeah, two World Series back-to-back. Oh. <laughs> I can play that game, too. 
yeah, but you're Canadian, so you're going to lose. Yeah, well, of course. But and that is the point. I'm Canadian. You know, I can say that. <laughs> you, you, and we know going in that all these claims to win can't all prevail because you've got factions. Yeah. Why uh, factions? No, but you've also got <laughs> factions within the cult of the dragon. Yes. They're not all doing this the same way, so not everybody can win, so you've got your breathing space to have anything you want happen to your gaming table. And sorry, back to you. <laughs> he doesn't know where I, I think anymore. you pretty much covered that. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 but you see... He's making great shit you can use at your gaming table. It is, in fact, just book one of book two, right? So I really want to talk about the start of this, right? This inciting event for us was we get to play with dragons. How many dragons can we have, right? (laughs) So Steve and I are like, and how many towns can we loot and burn up and down the Sword Coast, right? I mean, what's too much? Because from a gaming perspective, we, we want it to be exciting. We want players to feel like there's a lot on the line. Like your house. Yeah. <laughs> or their favorite city. Baldur's yeah. Gate. I don't know. Pick one. Right? <laughs> but at the same time, we want to leave room for future stories. And so it's that balancing act that the, the game side often has, which is... Yeah, how many dragons and how many cities? Um, <laughs> and the answer turned out to be about three and about three. Um, <laughs> I've spoiled everything. Give or take half a dragon. Give or take half a dragon. No. Um, so the storytelling for us is entirely from the villain side, and we got to reinvent the cult of the dragon. We got to write up some of these NPCs and an inner, inner council that knows better. Uh, then the old inner council. There's an old guard and a new guard fighting within the cult. Now, the interesting part for me, of course, is when we hand this off, both to gamers, so that your characters can uh, shake events in the realms, and, of course, to novelists, who are going to say, well, yeah, we see the same cult, only we have these heroes over here, see? Um, And that's kind of where I'm curious to hear whatever is happening and brewing in the novel world with the Cult of the Dragon. Uh, I can't tell you because my next book is a mystery. (laughs) Literally, it's a mystery. So I can't tell you. I can tell you what Khalif and Arietta are doing during the Tyranny of Dragons. They're they're walking back to Mars (laughs) (laughs) It's a long long walk. Long walk. Basically, that means I won't have a book involved in the Tyranny of Dragons. It's just a matter of scheduling and taking time to write books. Yeah. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's still stuff in, in the works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not my stuff. <laughs> I think in a way, I think in a way, my books are running kind of along a parallel track with all of this because this is the storyline that's been going for all these years. And so, what I where I come in with all of these is is at the beginning they'll say to me, and it, with Tyranny of Dragons, actually, I was already almost done the book. Uh-huh. But as it turned out. It worked because I had dragons in the book and it was having, I had both uh, chromatic and metallic dragons in the book. And so having a new uh, motivation right. for both sides actually added a level. And this is when shared world works the best, right? Mm-hmm. right. When somebody's working on something and instead of going, oh no, that contradicts, you can say, oh, I can make what I'm doing a little better because of this, because I have now a new level of, of um, you know, motivation for the characters, in this case the dragons, and it ties back to everything I was doing with Menzo Baranzan as well. Because 
I have a spider queen who was trying to take over the weave of magic and failed and is really mad and would like nothing more than to see more chaos come to the world, <laughs> if you will. So it, it all tied together in kind of a, a, a sidebar in, in the book I was writing, even though I was almost done the book before I even heard of Tyranny of Dragons. It's nice to plant those seeds that are just sort of toward the end of one book and are going to blossom right. in the future. Yep. <laughs> and since you, I know, I mean, Bob, since you talked about that, I was talking with Scott Kurtz weeks ago. Weeks ago. Oh, sorry, we were Paxies. I was talking with Scott Kurtz. And he, he was planning his, his uh, strip, which he's doing right now for Table Titans. And they're going through the Underdark and stuff, and he was talking about stuff. And I think he said something like blah, blah, blah. And you were like, they could just, they, they could just be Drist, or something like that. And he was like, what? And then and, and, and there was a bigger conversation that happened after that between you, you and him, and he was just blown away with how, how collaborative it was. Where you were just oh, like, that was a blast. Scott's great. Scott's amazing. Right. And, um, He's here, by the way. So Scott Kurtz has, has his Table Titans booth next to the, to the uh, Mighty Fine booth. It's like 2, 4, 35 or something like that. It's on the right side. But go visit. Great he stuff. was working with Sid of the Lab Bar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and Crazy King Harnoff. And, and I met... So we had to work together a little bit mm-hmm. to fr- because I'm using that too. Mm-hmm. But it, Scott's great. That was fun. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm always impressed when I see you guys doing exactly that. Like I, <laughs> done a tiny bit of creative writing, but seeing multiple authors get together and be like, "No, you can do that. No, you can kill that guy off. Like I can kill somebody. I can." Kill I didn't tell him he could kill Dritz. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. Yeah. I was like, I need Dritz to die. So Scott's like, a jerk. Why is he even here? <laughs> yesterday how you killed Driss like six or seven times so you can get all this loot so that was in the game that wasn't him <laughs> I did too <laughs> yes actually actually there's something that uh, very important here that Wizards of the Coast needs to be informed of that oh, they killed Driss no 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 they, the, how, how the collaborative process was much easier when Gen Con was back in Milwaukee and all the boxes got thrown in these side rooms and where the screens folded because Bob and I could go take a running leap down Never the thing, did it. leap on the <laughs> boxes, <laughs> crush about 40 boxes underneath us and say, so, what do you want to do? <laughs> and, and since those boxes aren't there anymore and our bodies are getting older, so taking running leaps onto anything is no longer a good idea. <laughs> Sorry, <Diane. laughs> So, we need boxes. Okay. Or a, a jumping castle. I will get on that boxes for you. If, if Wizards could just send a jumping castle to my house. <laughs> wait, wait. How does that help the whole creative process? Oh, you have to fly house. everybody else to oh. my house, too. There's a party at Ed's place. Yeah, the party's. <laughs> All right. So, Ed, you touched on this. Uh, we have our five factions uh, for Tyranny of Dragons. And these, these factions are ones you're going to be familiar with for the most part, right? So, you've got uh, the Harpers. The Emerald Enclave, the Lord's Alliance. Show me the picture again, because it's always... The oh. Order. Order of the Gauntlet. And then the my favorite, the new... Well, not the new Zendrum. They're, they're, they're still the Zendrum, the Zents. But, again, just like, just, like the, just like the Cult of the Dragon has kind of shifted and changing, and they're struggling within themselves of what they are and, and what's going to come next, a lot of these other groups are changing, too. Like, if, if you've read some of the Sunring novels, you'll see how the Harpers have changed during uh, the, the, the time of the, the spell plague and how they're, they're, they're changing now a little bit more. They're, they're kind of getting more back to their roots, more to the, to the we do good in the face of whatever's going to try to stop us, we don't care. Kind of a little bit secret CIA, but no government controlling them that kind of stuff. That's kind of the way I look at it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zints are like the mob. Like they, they're like, oh, so we're just going to move in and we're going to protect you. And you're gonna pay us some money, and then we're gonna we're gonna have these protected trade routes, 
Like it's, it's it's power through merchant. I guess is the easiest way to put it. They're good guys. They're fine. And yes, players can play as them, and they're kind of a little bit darker. And by, by players can play as them, I mean in our organized play things, you can pick one of these five factions to kind of align your character to. And it doesn't give you hard and fast rules with how you have to play, but it gives you kind of a structure that you can start with to help as another step to build out that background for your character. It's just another way for you to, to tell your story. You also can pick no faction, which is totally fine. Uh, they're still cool things, but these are another way to do that. Um, and, and, and this isn't like a, 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 a switch was flipped going from the Sunring to Tyranny of Dragons. There's still lots of things that are changing. It's, just, it's, it's things, again, there, there's this, t this tumultuous time where, where everybody's trying to figure out what to do next. Like, is this god here? Do I worship this god? Well, this god's giving me powers, so they're probably real. Um, but a lot of that's decided by you. We talked a little bit yesterday about, look at all these gods that are in the player's handbook. Are they all, are they all there? Are they all actually in the Forgotten Realms? And the answer is, I don't know. Like, it, it's, it's, it's really how you want to handle it. It's, it's knowing what's of the stories that have come before and what part of the story you want to use and then how you want to spin it off, how you want to put that in your story. And, and, and for the factions, you still have full freedom at the gaming table of saying, okay, the Zentrum are selling themselves like this, but are they really any different? That's up to you. Because it could be like, you know, political parties gearing up for an election and they put a new face mm -hmm. on their policies. They may or may not actually be changing their policies. They may just be giving you, well, saying this will get us elected this time. Well, it could be that the factions are acting and looking like this will get what we want here for now. And at the same time, Cult of the Dragon, perfect example, there will be infighting within the, because no, that's really, that's really what we should be. Oh no, it's not you, naive idiot. <laughs> you know, and so there's there's that going on within every. So at your gaming table, what is the truth is totally up to you. Yeah, I mean, Wolfgang, you is a written an adventure here. So how how did the the factions kind of come into play during Horde of the Dragon? Uh, I really wish I could talk about uh, book two because the factions <laughs> there are really easy to discuss and really clear. Yeah, uh, but that's a little early. Uh, in Horde of the Dragon Queen, you're sort of getting to know the factions. Uh, and one way that you... you Get into new... Well, yeah, because part of the assumption is you don't necessarily know all the history of the realms going into Horde of the Dragon. You might. Chances are good. As a gamer, you know the realms. But uh, it's also meant to give some breathing room for new people. Uh, so there's some room to, to align yourself with the faction early. Um, one of the ways that you get to meet people who are members of the faction is, of course, is the NPC contacts who try and tell you, here's what we want you to do. And there's a section of Horde of the Dragon Queen that involves marching up and down the trade routes uh, along the Sword Coast. And that's a lot of sort of tramping down the road, which could be dull. And maybe in a novel, you dismiss that in a few paragraphs three weeks later, they're in Waterdeep, great. Um, for us, it needed to be playable. And so Steve Winter and I wrote uh, encounters with members of the various factions along the road. And the one we had the most trouble with was actually the Zents, because, well, hey, they want to be your friends. <laughs> you want to buy hey. a watch? Right. <laughs> but even worse than that. I already have a watch. No, you don't look. Yeah, see? <laughs> and so they come across as maybe slightly darker, and I think that's part of the appeal of the faction. 
Um, but we didn't want to present them in a purely negative light, like homicidal murderers, right? That some sense, but not all sense. Hey, hey, we're the efficient guys. Yeah. When we say that your toilet's going to flush, your toilet's going to flush. flush. The trains will run We on protect time. your interests <laughs> up and down the road. Yeah, so uh, they're the trickiest ones to deal with to make appealing to people who don't already have, like, the dark side character. Everybody wins the car. No, they don't want to make them the salesman. Um, but that was the that was the sort of game design technique we used. Is, well, you're going to meet a lot of people on the road because you're on the road for three, four, five, six weeks. Um, and and it was a nice way to introduce the realms as a broader space, right? Um, some of it was pure mysticism. Steve wrote a wonderful encounter about a, a golden heart that walks across the road and into the woods, right? Well, are you going to follow this giant stag into the forest? We could, and there's multiple things that could happen, and it's a bit of mystery, and it's up to your characters, right? Do you follow the golden stag into the forest, or are you more of the kind of guys, ah, they're not going to pay us? <laughs> How's that pay off? We're going, right? So, <laughs> what's in this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we wanted to show both, like, the factions and, like, the weird mystery and wonder of the realms to people who haven't seen it. So, Troy... And I could be on misremembering it, but you played a part in creating or reviving one of these factions, correct? Have I been crazy here? Um, yeah, the, yeah so. the Order of the Gauntlet. Um, That's true. Yeah, I don't remember quite how we came up with it, but I do remember I jumped on You came on. up with it. I did? Yes. Yeah, you came <laughs> up with it. There, there were, he doesn't want to take credit. It was there, all the you were quite insistent, yes. if yes. I remember, right? <laughs> there, there, were, there, were five, <laughs> there were five factions already on the table. Yep. And, yeah, right. And you said, no, 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 that one is the same as another one. Yeah. yeah was, Did we talk about which one got shot? Which one is it? Well, which, well, 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 its name is no longer on here or anything. Oh. But And you said, what you need is... Right. You need somebody who's going to go out there and kick ass. <laughs> yeah. Ah. On principle. On principle. Yeah, yeah on yeah. principle, not yeah. just because they enjoy it. Yeah. Um, What's that saying? Lawful good is lawful stupid? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I, I guess I did kind of... Uh, I, it's coming back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> We're older now, so we have to, like, put recorders on to remember what we yeah. talked about and things like that. Yeah, I think we had two, two factions that were kind of really heavily nature-related, and mm -hmm. they were almost duplicating right. each other. So, mm -hmm. All right. so we right. said we should drop one of them and do what Troy wants. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't say that. You <laughs> yeah. said and I was up at the whiteboard writing, Troy wants. <laughs> I think I was calling it the, the something else, the Fist of Fury. Or, yes, or yeah, Fist of Fury. Like Fury. Yeah. Which sounded a little kung fu. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is okay. I've got a kung fu character. Flaming, yeah. flying, Fist of Fury. Yeah. And in this corner. So, yeah, but anyway, I, we kind of decided we needed somebody who was out there fighting for the right. And I do mean fighting, you know, so... That's how we decided to go ahead and go with it. I got green-lighted for the Order of the Gauntlet. Yep. So we got the Zens, and they're kind of kind of mob-esque. We've got we've got the uh, Order Order of the Gauntlet, and they're kind of your righteous, in your face, uh, going to go fight you to prove to prove they're right. Uh, we've got the Harpers. Uh, Ed, do you want to talk a little bit about the Harpers out now? And, and sure. Okay. The Harpers. When I originally created the Harpers years and years and years ago, I used to say the Harpers are the Sierra Club. And that is no longer true. It probably wasn't true then. It was an oversimplification. But the Harpers now, they, they, they think they are doing this for the greater good <coughs> and for the good of the long term. 
but they are always against consolidated power because they think power corrupts. So any ruler who gets too powerful to wider reach and any ruler who uses what they would call regimentation and tyranny, like cracking down too much, too many laws, too many regulations, too many thou shalt nots, too much control of the general population, just the way life unfolds in the daily life, is a bad thing. And as it happens, we have another faction, the Lord's Alliance, that is basically about that. Staying in power is good. Doing whatever you need to do to stay in power is therefore good, because when we are in power, we do the right things. And so a little deception on the part of your government is just fine because your government keeps the trains running on time and the toilets flushing. So, and this would be much better than if we were all howling barbarians in the wilderness. And, of course, the Emerald Longclave says, hey, there's nothing wrong with howling barbarians in the wilderness. In fact, there's nothing wrong at all with the wilderness. That's the Emerald Longclave. And the Harpers are going, yeah, you know, <clears throat> people should help each other. And, you know, when it comes to wilderness, we don't want wilderness. We want to know which plants are poisonous and which ones are good for us. But we, don't, we want to knock down all the tall poppies. If, if a tyrant is getting too powerful, we want to knock him down. And we don't want fighting in the streets. The Order of the Gauntlet wants fighting in the streets. <laughs> the World's Alliance wants to crack down. And the Zentrum, Che, can I sell weapons to both sides? <laughs> but, but the Harpers want to say, okay, this guy's getting too powerful. I don't want to have a fight with him. I don't want to have any rebels that he can you know, hang or or send adventurers after, as an example. I just want to work against his power. How can we shift his power? How can we have the merchant guilds in his area just just shave away at his power without provoking? And, and so the Harpers are the meddlers. El, Elminster's the stereotypical Harper. He walks around and he goes in the village and says, no, you shouldn't marry that. <laughs> and he goes over and says, the key that is lost is in the bottom of the well. Stop looking everywhere else and stop suspecting your sister of taking it. And he goes somewhere else and says, you've got to stop poisoning your husband. The recipe is wrong. Use these mushrooms. And, and you're thinking, what the? You know, but he's, he's manipulating on the micro scale, but he's not doing it with everybody. That would be too much control for him. He's doing it with key people and then moving on because he's trying to do the trick where, you know, the gale that is going to knock down the castle starts with the tiniest of breezes. He's going around the world going, tiny breeze here, tiny breeze here, and that's a Harper. There we go. Um, I, I, we talked a little bit about the Lord of the Lions in that session as well. I don't know that we need to do too much more of that. They, they are, in fact, the lords who are, who either they're manipulating things for their own gains or they're trying to keep their government stable or, or all sorts of they're things. In, they, they love the status quo. Yeah. And the status quo might be good, but they're, they're trying to keep the status quo. Because after all, we've just gone through major wars everywhere. everywhere. And, you know, was that good? No. So. It's one of those, like, I think, like, it jumps to an easy example, like, and look how the mass towards a water deep work. But then, like, one of the things that first comes to mind is, is Ten Town stuff. And it's, it's not exactly the same. It's, these different, it's, a, it's a smaller government, but it's also these guys in power, and they're trying to keep their towns in power or keep power in their town, their speakers, and they're, and they're trying to, to, to manipulate things. And it's, 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 you can take a, it's a very broad concept that can be applied to big cities and small cities and, and, and lords and guys who want to be lords. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, like, like the other groups, it's something that you can apply to large amounts of people, which I like a lot. And the only one we haven't talked about, uh, because I don't think really anybody has characters that represent that group really well, is this, uh, the Emerald Enclave. Like, Drisp, I, I guess. He doesn't want to, like, rip down the civilization, though, or anything like that. No. He's, he's no. happy with it. He just happens to also be a ranger. Pickle. 
What? Pickle. Yeah, there we go. Pickle, boulder shoulder, would uh, would definitely uh, be happy ripping down all civilization and just having boulders and, and, and his club. But but the emerald enclave unintentionally is on the side of the monsters. Oh yeah. Because yeah. they don't want every last piece of wilderness <laughs> um, just raised to the ground and a farm started and then, and of course on the other hand if that's what happens. The monsters get hungrier and hungrier and more and more desperate because their habitat's being destroyed. This is true. And, and like dragons, surprise, surprise, are a big part of tyranny of dragons. They're, they're causing havoc on, on behalf of their queen or the cult. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll have to get more into that. And of course, dragons don't generally agree with each other either. They're pretty territorial. They, they, they're pretty smart and pretty selfish. But they play, play a large part in what's going on. Uh, and yeah, they do want to tear things down, some of them. Some of so, them are all about like, oh, there's a city here. I'm going to go wreck it. Uh, give me some gold. Uh, kind of stuff, uh, and, and dragons still play a part in some stuff you're doing, right, Bob? Like, uh, well, alongside in, the, the, in, the, in the last book, like I said, I had I had some dragons in it, and some more dragons coming into it, and the motivations changed essentially. Where the the dragons, see, I'm not going to give everything away here. I'm just not going to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, the go buy Bob's books. It was people. there was a bigger reason for a couple of the dragons acting the way they were than just wanting to get some treasure in their cave. And there was a bigger reason for other dragons getting involved than just wanting to be involved, because otherwise they would have just stayed out of the way. Yeah. Like, it's it's so. one of those things we talk about, like, like, you look at the cult of the dragon, and there's lots of stuff going on. It's not just one plan. There are people who have machinations, and sometimes they're working against each other, sometimes they're working with each other without realizing it, and it's just lots of things going on because they're not communicating on the plans. Like, to me, the, the, the better dragons are that way, too. Sure, you got the dumber ones, like, I just want money. Mm-hmm. I just want to support Tiamat. The other one's like, eh, here's my game. And, those and it's dragons, a longer game. Those dragons are really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get that. So, I, I think if we talk too much more about turning dragons, we're going to start spoiling too much stuff. So, there's dragons, <laughs> there's Cult of Dragon, Tiamat's involved, and, and there's crazy stuff happening. I think, think oh, and the factions, which you, you should definitely check out. Uh, if you actually do the character creation here, or you play in in the, the Adventures League out there, you do get the option to to uh, join with a faction, which is a cool invitation letter. Uh, some cool things you can do with that faction and how it affects, uh, how it could affect your play. So I would definitely uh, check that out if you get the chance there. Um, now let's just move on to the fun stuff. Now that we've 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 all we're all caught up, we all know what's going on. Um, Let's talk about just writing in the realms. You guys have been doing this for a while. Wolfgang, you've been doing the adventures for a while. Yeah. You got you got you guys storytellers extraordinaire here. Um, what's your favorite thing about writing in the realms? Hard question. Go, Ed. We'll start with you. You've been you've been doing it the longest. I I live in the realms. I can't not. <laughs> Everything I do, I work on the realms every day. Uh, the 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 favorite thing for me is. It is both old and familiar and a place I know in my head and can go there at any time to see sunsets and gorgeous things. And at the same time, because everybody else is at work in the realms creatively, it can surprise me. It, can, it seems alive. It can entertain me. It's not static until I walk on stage, split the lights on, and everybody starts speaking their lines. It's always Ongoing, so it's sort of like I discovered this marvelous place, and it's alive because all these other people are creating in it. At the same time, I get the fun that we all get at a at a gaming table, and I'm talking now about either miniatures gaming or a board game, where you can stand over the table and look down, and wouldn't it be cool if we tried this? Wouldn't it, which 
we rarely have the time and opportunity to do in real life. And guess what? If we try it in real life, it usually doesn't work out well. <laughs> but, but you have that wonderful thing of, what if this? What if that? And that's the metagaming thing where I talk to other creative people. We, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, but it is like, that's the most wonderful thing, that it can be something I created and as familiar to me as the comfy pair of shoes, and at the same time, continually surprise me because other people are breathing life into it. It's shared. It's all of you. It's all of us. It's not just me. Do you have something that sticks out as uh, something that came about because of stuff you guys worked on together? Like, you had an idea and it morphed into something completely different? Yeah, I didn't love to prepare for these questions. Sorry, the, guys. I, th I, I don't want to give away stuff, but that entire process of the summits... Um, and, of course, the most brilliant things that, that Wizards did was put us all up at the same hotel. So we went back to the lobby and pulled up some drinks afterwards, and we started talking about all the stuff that, you know, because we're doing it for love. It's, you know, and, and so all the stuff we were just working on back there, we go, oh, I'm, I'm fading now. Okay, we're, we're done for the day. We go back to the hotel, and your brain's going, <laughs> See, now I'm curious, though. Go back. Mm -hmm. Go back, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. What kind of things then were surprising you? Surprising. I mean, when the realms were new, and then all of a sudden all these people invaded the realms. <laughs> um, I think the thing... Everybody sort of... Ignored. He didn't say they were all pleasant surprises. Well, <laughs> yeah, there were some of those. Uh, I, no, I, I think, I think the, the thing that surprised me most was um, getting to... Every year I went to Gen Con, and, and by the time The Realms was a, was a published imprint, I was, the Gen Con had relocated to Milwaukee from Wisconsin Parkside, and I would come down for two days and hang out at the TSR offices beforehand and stick around for about a day after Gen Con, you know, when all the walking dead things came back from the convention and laid their <laughs> foreheads on their tables, um, and hung out with these people. It was like... Wow, you can get paid for doing this? <laughs> How do I get into this? <laughs> that was the thing. It was like, there's a whole building full of zany people. They do crazy things. They have Hong Kong, uh, King Kong um, toilet paper holders that go, rah, when you pull in the toilet paper. They have um, stuff all over their cubes. They run through the cubicles with katanas. Yeah! You know, and it's like, it's like, where do I sign up? The art department. You've got human that, skeletons. That last push. part was usually a writer chasing an editor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel sad. We replace all of that with nerf things now. So it's like, I want katanas and skulls. And this is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just cool. And it was like, wow, I've got to get into this. You know, I work in libraries. It's like, yes. <laughs> Microbiology row three aisle six. You know, <laughs> and I could go to this place where it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you, what you get to play games all day and you get paid for it. It's it's called play testing. <laughs> yeah, let me in. <laughs> that's a, I mean that's that's an interesting topic. Like, what was it like for you guys for your first time moving into playing game with the realms? Like, was it was it difficult? Was there like joy? Was there fear? Just like I'm gonna start messing with the realms and telling my own stories, like. No, well, for me, when I came in, the only thing that was out was uh, Darkwalker on Moonshay and then the box set, and then a couple of other products came along, and it was, it was a blank canvas. It, it was writing a book, essentially, and in the place I was completely creating in Icewind Dale. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, bending the rules and making a good dark elf character type of thing. So for me, it was it was it was writing a book. And as I got going, I think really with the second book, and there was was when I really got into the gray box set. And I would, I would look, because I had to travel all the way from Icewind Dale, then across to Mithra Hall. And like you said, when, you know, when you've got people going down the road in the book, you say, and six months later they got to Mithra Hall, but that book wasn't long enough, so I had to, had to fill in some of the details. <laughs> and so the one thing that stood, stood out to me was Longstout, mm. right? I mean, I read in the great box set this one paragraph about this community that was that was overseen by a family of eccentric wizards named the Harples who lived in the Ivy Mansion. That's all there was. And so, for me, that was the first time it became really collaborative because I wrote the chapter on Long Saddle when the friends got there, and then I called up Ed. And we were on the phone for a long time. This was back when calling Canada was really expensive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that phone call was more than my advance for the book, actually. (laughs) And... um, you know, I, I showed them what I had done, and, and, and that was when it became, for me, very kind of the recognition, the realization that there's so many other people building this world. Did it get, so, so you said at the beginning you were, you were writing a book that was kind of a blank slate, and then later... Yeah, I had written a book was... called Echoes of the Fourth Magic, which oh. I sent to Wizards, uh, Wizards, TSR. <laughs> See, I used, to, I used to do that backwards. I still call Wizards TSR. Um, and Mary Kirchhoff had called me up, which shocked me because an editor called me and they didn't just send me this awful rejection letter. And she said, um, you know, I really like this. Can you set it in the realms? And I said, what are the realms? They weren't out yet. It's not my fault. They, nothing was out. The realms, there was no internet, so there, weren't all, there wasn't all this buzz on the internet, right? These were the dark ages. And I... Um, <laughs> And, and when she told me what the realms were all about, there's no way I could set the book in the realms because it started in our world and went to a future world. Mm-hmm. And the realms has no real relation to our world, or at least it didn't and doesn't that I still know of, does it? Well, no, 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 and that was how I got in. And, and so for me, the first one was just writing a book. And I knew, I, I mean, I knew the Dungeons & Dragons game, so I had, an understand, you know, I had an understanding of the Vancean magic system, if you will. And I knew the character classes, and I was able to bend the rules a little bit with, with their blessing um, and make a good, good dark elf. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was just writing a book. Was it, did, did it get easier when you had uh, more structure, I guess? You know, when your playground got more filled in? Did it get no, it harder. Or did it get harder because you had to start worrying about... Because I tried to hide to the side. Yeah. And I hide to the side because the, the lead time for a novel is years. Mm-hmm. Um, if I sign a five-book contract, that if, if I sign a five-book contract in 2009, that fifth book comes out in like 2014. Right, and, and if you know how gaming works and game products work, between that and there, you've gone in 97 different directions with 500 products and everything. So if you say, well, this book's going to come out here, and the realms is going to go like this, and then the book comes out here, and the realms is over here. <laughs> so for me, it was always find a place where no one's at. Yeah. I remember when, when I first tried to set a book in the Forgotten Realms, Crystal Shard, 
which was then called the Tyrant of Icewind Dale, was trying to figure out where Icewind Dale was. And I just unfolded your original maps of the realms. And, <laughs> and the, um, so we're trying to set it, and I go, oh, this looks cool. It's got a glacier. It's, oh, no, no, that's the Bloodstone Lands, and Doug Niles has done a series of modules there, and he's probably going to write a book there. Okay. Um, what about here? Oh, that's Cormier. We're kind of leaving that for Ed because that's kind of you know, the heart of it all. And then, okay, well, what about here? You know, we've got this gigantic map, right? It's this continent-sized map. And, and, it, and I picked like 30 places. And no, no, so-and-so's here. Oh, this person's writing here. Calumport. Well, no, Doug's going to be going to Calumport. I'm like, was Doug taking over? I mean, what is this? <laughs> and, it's like, yeah. and, and finally, out of frustration more than anything else, I said, you see that little line up there that looks like a typo above the edge of the spine of the world mountains off in the northwest corner? And she goes, yeah. And I says, is anybody there? Like, I think it's a typo, Bob. And I'm like, not anymore. It's Icewind Dale. And that's how it came to be. And so I, I spent the first many years, and I still do it, hiding from everybody else. Because I'm, you know, I mean, I'm... I'm no, I don't work at Wizards. I, I, I live in Massachusetts, and yeah. it's, uh, I'm not jumping on a plane every Monday to come in. <laughs> <laughs> and gaming products just happen so fast that you really get in trouble if you're... And, and I'm not the only one up here that will say this, and, and I think every author of the novels will tell you this. You get in trouble when you're counting on things to be the way they said they were going to be when you started the book. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I remember having a, um, a fight with Mary... Because she said, oh, no, you can't reference Waterdeep. And I said, no, no, you have to have crossroads in the realms that we're all allowed into. Waterdeep is one of them. And she said, what? And I said, go talk to Jeff. Put the phone down go talk to Jeff. And Jeff grew and And she went away and did that. And she came back and said, I see now. I get it. And I said, well, yeah, you have to have some crossroads. Because that's how it sounds like we're all writing in the same world. <laughs> what do you, I mean, this is. We'll keep going on this road. What do you feel about the process now? Like, like I'm not saying much that, better. That kind oh, of stuff, like, like oh, that, that kind of stuff, probably can still happen, right? It's not like like one writer goes off a little bit away, one writer goes off another way. There can be contradictions, but well, now at the, at the beginning of the realms, mm -hmm. there is an intense pressure, or was then, to bring a product line out of nothing mm -hmm. into existence in a hurry. And the, f the fastest way to do that for games is to pick up the phone and bug in every year. <laughs> and the fastest way to do that for novels is to keep people geographically out of each other's way so right. they can get rolling. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and now we're rolling. We've been rolling for longer than most product lines exist in either fiction publishing, mm -hmm. in general, not just in gaming, and in gaming. So that we're in a different position now. We don't have to do that. We, we can More than act. most product lines exist. Yeah. Consider yeah. the yeah. fact that the average person who picks up one of our books, our early books for the first time, is younger than the book. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot younger yeah. than mm -hmm. the book. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, and, like, going forward, we have, we've had those summits, and, and we really are trying to get out. Like, I also, we really are trying to get out of the way of story. Like, the rules shouldn't be impacting the story, is what it comes down to, right? Like, it's, it's, you had that great story yesterday about a cherry. And getting called up and, and mm. being, being told you had to kill him off simply because he, he was a quote unquote assassin class. Yes. This is something you read in the book. It's not like I'm I'm the assassin class. Um, and like if me having never no, been involved in that. Movie. I'm a I'm a prestidigitator. <laughs> me, me, me having never been involved on that on that level, I'm like, wow, that's that's insane. I'm listening to how you handle it. 
Uh, sorry, I want, I want you to tell the story. Bob, tell that Well, who story. was in here yesterday? Oh, oh it's a new group. Oh, good. Great. Yeah, yeah you don't count. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Um, when the realms... I was writing Homeland. When the realm... Yeah, there you go. I was writing Homeland when the realms were going to second edition. And I got a phone call from Jeff Grubb, who was then the coordinator of the realms. And he said, Bob, hey, how are you going to kill Entreri? I'm like, I'm not going to kill Entreri. What are you talking about? I remember I'd already written the Icewind Dale trilogy. Entreri was introduced in, in the, at the very end of Crystal Shard. He played a major role in Streams of Silver. And left with Regis at the end, and the Halfling's Gem, they went down there, and Dritz had a big fight with him in the sewer and all that, but he got away, killed Rassiter. It was really cool. I hope I spoiled it for everyone who haven't read it. <laughs> the books are 25 years old. It's no longer a spoiler. By the way, King Kong dies. Yeah, King Kong dies. Actually, just a sidebar, I remember the when, ship the, sings. When, the Titan- <laughs> when Titanic came out, Diane and I were at the theater, and we're sitting there, and it's going on hour after hour after hour. And Diane finally says, we had just sink it already. And these teenage girls in front of us turned around and said, sure, ruin the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to the back to Entreri. And I'm like, I'm not going to kill. Why would I kill Entreri? I mean, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm writing Homeland, which takes place when Dritz is a kid, which means Entreri is not even born, not even close to being born yet. I'm like, what do you want me to kill his grandparents? Yeah. How am I going to kill him? <laughs> well, no, no, but you can just do it for a game product or something. But we, we think he's cool. We want you to kill him. I'm like, we think he's cool. Why do you want me to kill him? I barely touched this guy. Well, because you see, in the new edition, there were no assassins. What? <laughs> see, there are no assassins in second edition. We've, we've gotten rid of the assassin class. And the way we're doing it in, in the world is it's really cool is that, you know, this evil god is sucking up all the souls of the assassins. Lovely. I'm not killing Entreri. Well, you know, if you don't, he's going to get his soul sucked up. I, but people aren't going to know when they're reading about him in the next. But, oh, no, no, he has to die. We're going to let you do it because we like him. So we're going to let you do it. I said, Jeff, I'm not killing Entreri. I don't understand why I have to kill Entreri. Because there are no assassins in the realms. I said, but, and back and forth, back and forth. For like 20 minutes, we're screaming at each other. And finally, I just said, I just don't get it. I do not understand why you want me to kill a character I've barely started to explore. He says, because there are no assassins in the realms. And I said, he's not an assassin. <laughs> and Jeff said, what? I said, he's a fighter thief who takes money to kill people. <laughs> And Jeff said, and I quote, we can do that. <laughs> and then the next thing they dropped on me was my monk quintet. <laughs> there are no monks in second edition, Bob. <laughs> okay, he's a psionicist. Well, we're not really getting into psionics, Bob. What is he? Well, we thought you could do a cleric. I'm like, a cleric. The cleric is the last guy at the gaming table. He shows up and says, I want to play. What can I be? You're the cleric. Shut up, sit down, and heal me. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I, I get the feeling you took that as a challenge because Catterley's kind of a badass. So. Well, he fights with a yo-yo. Well, okay, that's why. <laughs> I, 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 Does I, the I, yo-yo I, win? Usually. Yeah. Well, eventually it becomes like... It always gets him back. Uh-huh. 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 Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. The door's like a super fancy yo-yo, though, after, yeah. after a while. And so, what did I do in there just to piss people off, quite honestly? <laughs> there are no monks, Danica. <laughs> and the other thing that happened in that series 
Oh, keep it going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that was I was just there. getting into that. Um, the other thing that happened in that series, right before that, when I was writing the end of the um, Icewind Dale trilogy, The Halfling's Gem, I was planning book four was when they come back and they go take the hall. And I got a phone call and they said, we think everyone's done with these characters. You know, it's, we've done the trilogy now. We're going to move on to other things. This was 1989. Okay. <laughs> Wrong. Um, <laughs> they said, so why don't you wrap it all up in an epilogue? And so I needed to come up with a dwarf, a dwarf real quick to finish it up and conquer Mithra Hall and lead the charge. And I came up with what I thought was the best dwarf name ever, right? Dagnabbit. <laughs> That's the coolest dwarf name ever. So it went through no problem. And then I remember right in the middle of the Claire Quintet, um, Eric Severson, um, right, right when I was be- right in the middle of saying we're going to do the Claire Quintet, right in the formation, Eric Severson, my editor, called me up. He was ripped at me because he had just realized what I had named the dwarf. And the book had been out for a year, right? <laughs> he was getting my editor, yeah. yeah I drove him, the editor gets around to reading it. He's a Unitarian minister now. I drove him into the church. Um, but he, he was getting all kinds of grief up at TSR because he had a... You're making fun of dwarves. Dagnabbit, really? What's the matter with you? How'd you let him do... So he's giving me all this grief. And he told me, from now on... You, whenever you refer to the character, it'll be named Dagna. And I'm like, that's boring. It's Dagna. But no, it's Dagna. Okay, I couldn't argue. They're paying the bills. Whatever. So I had to come up with a couple of dwarves for the Clara Quintet. <laughs> Ivan, that's a good dwarf name. He needs a brother. Okay. So P-I-K-E-L. And I sent it in, and I knew the phone was going to ring. And sure enough, I'm sitting by the phone, and bang, hi, Eric, it's Bob. <laughs> and he says, Pickle. I say, cucumber? He says, pickle? I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are we talking salads here? What, what is it? He said, you have a dwarf named Pickle. I said, I have a dwarf named Pickle. You, Ivan's brother Pickle? What? Ivan's brother Pickle? I'm looking. No, no, no. It's Pikeall, like the weapon. Oh, all right. Never mind. He's got green hair. Could I be more obvious? It's Pickle. See? You, go ahead. Piss me off. I'll get you back. <laughs> <laughs> so, Troy, let's step, take a simple step back. We're talking about you know these guys in the realm. It's kind of easy to make it. Yeah. I'll talk about him. When, what was it like when you wrote your first story for the realm? When you entered in? Well, I, I can't remember when I didn't know about the realms. Um, and that, that's... Pretty hard. I mean, I was I was at TSR. I, the first book was Waterdeep, but my first bo- book was Waterdeep, and and but I already knew the realms when I mm. wrote that. You know, yeah, I'd been working in it as an editor. He worked and, at TSR. Yeah, I worked at TSR. Um, I was my first job out of college was as an editor for TSR, um, editing such wonderful products, and I do mean this sincerely as Star Frontiers and Gangbusters and, nice. and you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's kind of back there. And then I worked. I became manager of design, and I can't remember when. I think the Forgotten Realms actually came well, in after I was manager of design. But, so, so were you I, like doing editing work on realms related things before you, you were I, writing? I realms? must have been because I knew the realms when we got Waterdeep. She was married. Well, Waterdeep. Like, yeah, that was yeah. the that was the time of trouble. That was the Avatar trilogy, yeah, right. and that was really the first time in the house they had decided to do a big series. 
right? Yeah. That was kind of like a, a collaborative effort in-house to go to second edition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was to do a Ragnar auction for <laughs> comics. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, I knew the realms, and I get a call saying, would you like to audition for it? Because um, this was also my first novel. Um, because they knew I was interested in writing fiction. Mary knew I was interested in writing fiction, and I said, well, sure. So I wrote, I think, a sample chapter and an outline, and she had like 20 other people do that. And uh, I was one of the three people picked to write the Avatar trilogy. And, uh, turned out to be two. It turned out turned to be, to be two. two, yeah. yeah. And uh, that was uh, with, with Scott Sanson, who just died, by the way. Um, last week. Yeah, last week. He was a wonderful, wonderful writer and a wonderful man, so he's going to be missed. But um, so, you know, I, I sat down and it was like, for me, just for honestly writing in something I'd all, I was very familiar with and been a part of for, you know, in one capacity or another since it became a part of TSR, I guess. So it would be three or four years anyway. Yeah. Avatar I, was 91. Too. I remember coming to TSR at Gen Con time and if you didn't go home for lunch or out to a restaurant for lunch, you went to the games library in the corner oh, yeah, of, we, of the upstairs yeah. where all the games were stacked around the walls and copies of, you know, of D&D and Swahili that, that had been received back was just stacked there. And there was a little whiteboard full of the pithy quotes of the day from around the office. And then there were these tables where you gamed and you ate your lunch. And I remember being conducted into this, well, we've got to do something with Ed, because he's not allowed to walk around the building and see all this sensitive <laughs> IT we've got. You know, um, you know and, and they dumped me in the games library, and Troy had just unfolded a map of the realms, because you, the Giants trilogy. Mm. Oh, he yeah. Said, he right. said, I have to go down and talk to Mary. So, and we went over yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd been I'd been part of working at it for for quite a while, and I Mary I said, "Do you want to write in the realms?" And I, you know, got the audition and uh, just started writing in it as if it was my own world. And I, um, so it was very natural. I mean, it is was, that why you kept blowing up cities? Because you thought it was your own world? <laughs> well, yeah, he actually worked in the office, so he's like, "I'm just going to do this." I yeah. mean, the first thing I was thinking when when yeah. Wolfgang was talking about burning cities and stuff is that that bait that breaks the 1989 charter where we agreed that Troy was the city destroyer? Right? <laughs> yes. yeah. 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 Didn't you blow up a moon at some point? Yeah, well, um, it was with the Avatar trilogy, we wanted to make a big, show that there was a big change, and, and one of the things we were thinking of doing, what I proposed, was blowing up the moon. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Grubb said, no, you can't blow up the moon. And because I was... Thou shalt not. <laughs> and because I had been... You know, I was I had been at TSR longer than Jeff, and even if I had quit and come back a couple times, and, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'd been a manager. You know, it was like I'd been his manager at one point, and I said, "Well, well, then what can I blow up?" <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff gets this look, and, it's and like, he says, "Anakin Skywalker." <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff got the look and said, "Well, okay, how about a city?" <laughs> you know, it was, Yep. Yeah. So, but it was it was it was very natural to, to start writing in the realms for me. It was it was a. You know, but you know that would make it was all there. I mean, it, it's what's not to love about it because you're there's so much rich thing, so many rich details to draw on. You yeah. Know, as a writer, and some people will, you know, I'm always asked, doesn't it feel limiting? And I'm like, no, oh, no, God, no, it's expanding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I if I'm looking for an idea, 
I go out here and I say, okay, what's happening in this city where I might need to go? And I go and look at it, and I read the ideas that somebody else has already had, and then I start, you know, that just starts developing more and more ideas. And, I, you know, as I'm sure anybody who's a game master has done the same thing, you know. So it was, you know, it was honestly wonderful. I want everybody to remember that because I'm going to come back to this. After we ask Wolfgang how, sure, because I think your, your take on this is a little bit different. Like, oh, my take is completely was, different. What was, right? what was your first four well, years like? I mean, my professional life there has always been the rhymes, right? I started at TSR in 1991, and I started as an editor of the magazine. So what I saw, of course, I bought the gray box as a gamer. Of course, I was already familiar with the realms, but what I saw as an editor first was adventures set in the realms. And everybody was sending me proposals for the slush pile. I want to write an adventure <laughs> set in the realms, and I want you to publish it in Dungeon Magazine. And the way I discovered the realms was largely by being like the new kid who would occasionally say, this feels like a realms thing to me. And I would go to the senior editors, and they would say, like, Barbara Young or Roger Moore at Dragon Magazine, and they would say, yeah, no, that's not really the realms you know, bring us something better. Um, or they would say, yeah, okay, that's a wrong piece. We can do that. that. Um, so it was really kind of reflected glory of the realms by like what the fans wanted to see in the realms. So I got that steady drumbeat of proposals. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And my job was saying no to most of it. Uh, <laughs> I am the crusher of souls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we only ran like three or four adventures in every yes. issue, and it was bi-monthly at the time. So. But you were only getting a couple of submissions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my first job was reading the slush pile, because, you know, the junior editor gets to read the slush pile and pass along the best 10%, and, you know, the middle editor gets to read that slush pile and pass along the best 10%. Anyway. And this is a crucial job, because the fire marshal wants the cubicles cleaned out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, everybody wanted to write yeah. the realms at that time, and... And so I was absorbing it by osmosis, I was in the building, and then stuff came along, another aspect of the realms that is not the usual entry point either, which is Al-Qadim came along, and I got really into that. <laughs> Did somebody say Al-Qadim? Yes. <laughs> it's like, well, and at some point I don't know where, but it was decided, hey, this is related to the realms, and this is part of the realms' continuity. But it's certainly not what we think of when we think of sort of the standard realms environment. Um, and then finally, I, I wrote a very tiny module because people said, gosh, Wolfgang writes a lot over there in the magazine department. Why don't we ask him to write Doom of Daggerdale? And all of a sudden, it was like, wow, all this learning by osmosis and, and being inspired by the box and by the slush pile, frankly. It's like, oh, I'm just going to tell a little story here in the Dalelands. And that was my entry. Cool. I, that's exciting. Um, that ties back into what Troy was talking about, where, where, where you have this... You have this world with all this history, and you have all these little loose ends that you can use to, to move into the next adventure. Um, uh, what advice, after this, I'm going to open it up to you guys. I'll let you guys one more question, and I'll open the floor to you guys. But what advice do you, you want to give to these people out here who, who are running realms campaigns, like things they can do for their campaign? What, what advice would you give them? Don't blow up the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely I'll let you, even now. <laughs> Intrigue. It isn't all running down alleyways and hacking each other with swords or hacking the dragon. Intrigue. Put in little intrigues. It does, you don't have to spend your entire life working out these intrigues. You just need little taglines because your players 
will discover what the intrigue is for you. And they'll think you're so brilliant five years later. Oh, that's what... And you're going... And you're going, oh, that's what it is. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so you do something tiny, like they come out of the, the back door of a tavern deciding that they better leave because the um, local watch patrol is coming in the front door of the tavern. And there's an old man looking at them through a window from the building opposite, and he goes... <laughs> and he has some distinctive look. You just have him pop up about ten times <laughs> over the next crazy. three months. Who is this old man? Why is he nodding knowingly at us? <laughs> <laughs> they all think of something. <laughs> yeah, I think there's room for, uh, for intrigue and mystery in other forms, too. Uh, players will go to the ends of the earth to discover the truth about a mysterious treasure. Uh, trade bars stamped with a seal no one knows uh, a sword with runes that no one can read the moment you say you can't know this oh that's it we're finding it <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, the best thing for the running campaign in the realms for me is always that you can always let the party take the road less traveled, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because no matter where they're going, give me a week to prepare, and I can find all the source material and have a great idea of where they're going. Sure. And because it's so varied, if I can be agile as a, as a DM, um, they'll have a whole different type of adventure when they go to the next one, right? And um, that's one of the things about having a world this developed. And, and with still enough gray areas in between so that all the things I had prepared that they were leaving, I could just transport ahead of them again. Eventually, I'll catch them. (laughs) (laughs) And in all seriousness, I I think the thing that I would try to emphasize is that it's, at its heart, the realms has always been a world of heroes to me. You know, a a place where where people do strive for the right, you know, for, for good. And I think that that's what I would recommend, not to lose sight of as a DM. Yeah, the realms that, is people, that, yeah. not geography. Yeah, that, that wonderful spirit of... But no assassins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, except, except no assassins again. Mm-hmm. So we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and until, until the next time. There's lawful good assassins, even. <laughs> <laughs> There's all sorts of assassins. We come in peace, shoot the kill. <laughs> <laughs> they only kill the bad guys. Clearly they're okay. Um, oh yeah, so with that, I've talked a lot. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start taking questions from the crowd. Someone's up raising hands. That guy, he was the first. Uh, um, so, I, and, and perhaps there's, I've, I've been reading about 15 years now through the realm, so um, I'm not as experienced with the history as they develop in sort of corporate strategies for writing books, but I have noticed that the Sundering seems to be a lot more um, um, marketing involved and organization as well. So there's the, the game, you know, the release of the game and the storyline, and then kind of getting out the heavy hitters with the authors all at once and having a very clear, you know, uh, this year will be released and this year will be released. Um, and so there's a very intentional movement with telling of the storyline. Um, so it appears more organized, but will that cut back on uh, other authors writing into the realms because there's something very unique going on right now with the Sundering. So it, it'll make something uh, being that much more difficult that has yet to be fully defined for a newer writer to be writing into the realms. Um, is, is that the case? And if, and if not, then how, how, how is the um, uh, wizard is dealing with that? If anyone but Trevor answers that, we'll be sued. No? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know. 
so what I would say is we, we definitely want to focus our stories, right? We don't want to do the, the groundbreaking, world-shaking stories anymore. Like, like, like That's where we're at right now. That's what I will say for sure. We, we want these guys to continue telling their cool stories about their characters and, and what they're doing uh, in the realms. But we don't want to keep doing stuff where it's like, here's this another big thing that you have to adjust for. Here's this another big thing that you have to adjust for. That's, that's not what we want to focus on. It's like, here's these things that's happening. And if you want to tie this cool stuff in your story, awesome. It's cool. It's, it's another one of those hooks, one of those points that you can add into your story. But it's not, oh, the moon was blown up. So now there's no moon in your story. Um, and, and with that in mind, we do really want to focus uh, on, on a core amount of authors and have them tell their stories. Um, now, that's not saying that there isn't room for other authors in the future or that those stories won't grow into like, you know, collections or other things. But right now, it's definitely focusing in on, on those, those small amount of stories. Did you want to add? Does that answer your question? No. Cool. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two gentlemen in the blue shirt, so we'll go with the one that's closer and then the one after, after that. Are you restricted to, to writing in the present of the realms or is the past an availability? Like, I know you were talking about, you know, this geographic region and whatever. Are you allowed to step back into the realms and write in, in the time frame that you prefer? Is that like a, a, an area that you can go into and, and explore? As long as you don't. Who are you asking? Anyone in particular or anyone? <laughs> Everybody. Um, Everybody. There, there's certainly a couple of books I'd like to go back and write, but right now, can't because we're pushing forward and we're, our, our books are serving a bigger purpose. Even though there are books and we're able to tell the story we want to tell, they're really serving a bigger purpose in, in realigning the realms at this point. So right now I would say no. Um, yeah, I, would I, I don't know how long that'll, that'll go on, but right now I would say no. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's I, said, I mean, I have, I have no problem throwing myself under the bus on, on all these. Uh, well, so we're telling a big story, right? We're telling a, a big story. It's a Tyrion Dragon story. And these guys are writing parts of those stories. And so we'll have whatever, whatever our big thing is. It may not be earth-shattering, world-changing stuff. But if we, can, if we can make it so Ed's book ties into Bob's book, ties into Troy's book, right? So, so you, you, you're, you want to read each other's stories. Beyond wanting to read these authors because they're awesome, there's another different take on this story over here. Um, and that kind of ties everything together. And if we can tie everything together, it's a lot easier to point people. It's like, hey, here's all this cool stuff to check out. Not that I wouldn't love it if these guys would go back and write from, from a previous era or from something that happened during the original Avatar stuff. That kind of stuff is, is great. But yeah, for right now, it's, it's, the, it's the focus on, on the big stories. We ourselves ask that same question mm-hmm. of the editors. And we're told, oh no, you can write stuff set in the past. But, and it wasn't a but it was a but we need this you know and and as Bob said you are moving your stuff forward now if it became and I'm sure this is going to be play double for for Wolfgang doing adventures you always want to have something that has some reference to the past Mm -hmm. this throne with this skeleton on it is here because um, this lost sword was lost 4,000 years ago and here's the circumstances, and therefore, that's what's cool about the sword now. Don't touch the pointy end. Um, so there are opportunities to root things in the past. So it is still the old realms and the new. But right now, at this moment, there just aren't enough chances to tell a story to spend one of them back in the past. 
And all that's the pace, but like we're talking a little bit about the pace. Like when you sign a five-book a five book deal, right, you're, you're writing, like, here's this book for this year, here's this book for this year, here's this book for this year. And then that's like, I want to like, write this. It's like, cool, to fit to the story. It's like, maybe. You can find, find yeah. a way to do it that way. It, mm-hmm. It's a little tighter now than it, than it was because of the things like the Sundering, the Tyranny of Dragons. So, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, it, it, like I, a couple of years ago, I had mentioned that I, I wanted to write a book about Jarl Axel and Zachna fame way before Dritz was born, right? Back in Menzo Baranzan, way before. And I get more letters asking me that than I think any <laughs> other question, but it, it can't happen right now. Just the timing isn't right. Someday. I'm still young. <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. Let's, let's, let's all hope and pray. I'll all love the game design. Um, you may have kind of hit on this. I was just wondering because Alpine was brought up. I was just wondering if uh, that setting, those games, uh, may they come back? Will they come back? Just wondering. Just kind of I have no idea. Uh, it's, it is, how can I say this? That's boiling all this stuff. It is super important to us that we give you all the cool campaign stuff that, that kind of boiled to the top in the past. So it's really important to us, and us, I mean, I believe them and, and us here with us, is that we want to give you access to those cool settings, the things you need to play in those settings again. So I think that's what I can say without spoiling too much. Let me do the historical thing. Yeah. El Hadim <laughs> was planned to be a two-year line initially. It's to ramp up, two years it would be finished. Then they move on to something else, you know, jungle adventures, pirate adventures. Arabian Nights Adventures. They read the actual, yeah, the actual um, brief said Arabian Nights Adventures. Nice. That's what it was called originally in the house, and then it was so popular, particularly at the, the game and hobby shows in Europe, that they extended the line to, because customers wanted more, gamers wanted more, and then we had to go on to other things because it, the other things that had been created were waiting for their press time, and. That could happen again with anything. See how I'm doing the dance here? There you go, buddy. Because, because now in, these, in this modern era, you don't think of, oh, let's do another this. We, we think in terms of brands. So if Wizards of the Coast still controls all of its brands, which most of us gamers think of as the worlds of D&D, Dark Sun, Ravenloft, Dragonlance... Um, which is slightly a different thing because the, the next couple of words that you, people say Boot Hill and so on, but, that, but that's a game as opposed to a setting. And, for, uh, and But they're all still in play. Right. But what we just said in answer to the last question about you can't tell all the stories you want to tell because you don't own your own printing press and you can't just crank out another one. There's this limited number of slots. And... In the old, old TSR days, they used to have what they called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which was where all the ideas for products got lined up against a wall and shot <laughs> dead because we could only have this many things ship within the year. And Elves of Evermeet fell off the end of the schedule, I think, four years in a row before it made it actually happened in the fifth year. Well, El Khadim could be one of those, Ravenloft could be one of those, Dark Sun... Dragonlance. So I'm not giving anything away by saying, we got all these cool toys. We just put them in the storage room. At any time, we may come busting out of the storage room and go, look what I found. And, and, I'll, and I'll add a wrinkle to that, too. And that is that one of the things that's obviously going on is that there's a lot more licensing. And, you know, 
So you've got computer game companies and whatever, and somebody comes up with they really want to do something, and they'll probably be able to talk people into it. Yeah, it's, it's, there's two things going on here, right? So we've got more collaboration, which is by far a great thing. So we're working with these guys to figure out how the shifts that might, like, we want to do an X story, we'll say that, right? And they'll be like, here's how that can work with us, or here's what you guys should do, right? And, and, and we'll mold that. And so we're trying to get ahead, so we're like, a few stories ahead. I'm not going to tell you about any of those. Um, but along with those, there, there, there's other things, like, well, what kind of cool thing, like, if, if there's a campaign setting involved, right, is it appropriate to, to assign it to this story kind of thing, so... Um, and, and then, yes, along with that, it's licensees and like, how do we loop them into this big story, this big multimedia thing where we're going to have novels covering this and tabletop covering that and this video game covering this and all this other stuff. So um, there's a lot of moving parts, uh, but back to the original question, it's like, you, are we going to have X, X campaign setting? Um, we, we, we want to give people the playgrounds they want to play in, and, and that's, that's the best I can do. Yeah, I'll just say that one of the highlights of my professional career was being told, you need to draw the map for the city of Brass for the next Alcadine box. <laughs> Me? <laughs> really? All right. Sign me up. I saw hands. I just found out here. I said the other day, by the way. Oh, my garage. Like, oh. This spell looks like, and that it's just when the time the trouble is where it's just like everyone's experiencing it, or is it going to be like the centering where it's like a progression of books written by the authors, or it's book one, book two, book three? I, I, I'm going to honestly say I don't have a whole lot of insight into how the novel part is working for uh, Training Dragons, so you guys might be able to get into that part better. Um, I don't think it's going to be either of those. I don't, it's not going to be, uh, and somebody please Jump on me if I'm wrong. There's, you know, I, can, I can tell you definitively that there's okay. nothing else like the Sundering going on. Yeah, right? yeah. No, yeah. Exactly. The Sundering was like a, the, the big one-time event. And even the Sundering, I mean, it's a series of books, but it's you can't think of like, like Ed didn't write a book that's a sequel to Troy's book, right. and Paul didn't write a sequel to my book. We all had our own characters or new characters that were being created. So we always thought of the Sundering like World War II. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was writing the Blitzkrieg, right? And then Paul Kemp came in and he wrote, I don't know, the uh, North, Africa. North Africa. And then, you know, Aaron did the Holocaust or something. We all took different parts with different characters. But we thought of these over... The Sundering is really held together by the, the, the whole split of the worlds and the chaos and, you know, the void of power that's filled by all these different factions that are causing all kinds of trouble and there's wars and... And the gods are fighting it out and plotting and all this other stuff and everybody's becoming a chosen and all this. But so we all had that. But that really, like, the books aren't related. I mean, you don't... They are that they're all set in that world, in that war. But I, I don't think you'll see anything like that again in anytime soon. Yeah, and my, my guess is I'm not really involved with the tyranny of the dragon, so I'm kind of leaping in a little bit. But from what I've heard and seen, it's, it's not like it's going to affect... Everybody in the realms, you know, like the way the Sundering did. It's, it's going to affect a small subset. Um, is it placed on the Sword right, Coast? So that, yeah. that part it, it, yeah. it is. It is on the coast, really. It's, there's things that are going on along the Sword Coast. And it goes in a little bit more to the heartlands, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, dragons are out causing some havoc. You know, the cultists are doing things. Other things are going on in relation to all of that. But it's not this big world-changing event where all the gods are like, hey, I'm going to go meddle in things, or, or, or where, where like, the world is being torn apart or anything like that. It, it is affecting a part of the realms, um, and it, it, it's a story that's, that's 
it's not like in one city, right? It's, it's a whole area of the world, but it's, it's something that, that is smaller in that scale. Because we, in the foreseeable future, from what I can predict, we're, we're not going to do that again. We're not going to. Yeah, right. yeah and, I, and I think then, other than that, it depends on where your book sits in the timeline of what's being right. done. So, like for Tyranny of Dragons, like I said, I was almost done. But there, were, there was an easy way for me to get Easter eggs in that not only helped kind of preface Tyranny of Dragons, but also made my book deeper and richer. It might, you know, made me feel better doing it. So, in those situations, I think the authors, as we, as we figure out what's going on, we will try to find ways to tie, even mm-hmm. if it's just someone saying, did you hear what's going on in mm-hmm. Waterdeep? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, I literally did that in my next Elminster yeah. novel. I, I'm, I'm on the phone, I'm going, so when does tyranny end? Because mm-hmm. I need to know whether it should be mentioned in my book or where that wouldn't work with the timing of the book. Um, and oh, okay. So I won't tell you the answer to that. Um, but the main thing is, tyranny happens more at your gaming table, yeah, and yeah. less a roll of books that are all going to be New York Times bestsellers that you must buy them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. For instance, I don't even have a book set in the tyranny of dragons. My next book will be set afterwards. Well, don't say anything. <laughs> that's all I can say. And, and then the, yeah. the flip side of that is, if if I have a book on the schedule that's coming out right when the new something new is starting, we will sit and we will talk about it, and and then I'll want to know. Well, this is the story I'm telling. Okay, I'm not changing that story because they don't make you do that, which is really cool. But what what things do you want me to put in that story to set off what you're doing? And they'll give me a list. If you can do this, 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 and this. Which is, by the way, the same thing I did with Cryptic yeah. in, in the Neverwinter game. That's actually I mean, a really good way to talk about this. Because what we're saying is that no matter how you experience the Forgotten Realms, those dragons, there will be something in it that, that ties you into the Tyranny of Dragons story. Now, it's not going to be the same thing necessarily. There's going to be this... You know, dragon. You're gonna hear rumors of this of this black dragon who was who was killed, and people raided his horde, and some stuff that happened. You're gonna in this game. You're gonna read this one story over here where no, there's a uh, damn. That was a real example. Not not the first one, but the one that just came to mind. Uh, some kind of dragons destroying a city, and, and 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 you need to go save it, right? Or or the video game where there's some there's some cults doing some weird activity, and you have to investigate it. Yep. Uh, sorry, going well, but that's, that, that's I think it's no, that's that's it. when I, when I when I was working with Cryptic, and we were going to do the Neverwinter series, we sat down at the table, and I said, okay, they they said we you know we need you to we basically need you to kind of destroy Neverwinter so we can rebuild Neverwinter. And then I came up with, you know, how about if I do this? And we came up, you know, I came up with the, 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 um, the fire um, lord, if you will. I don't I want to call him just a... Uh, uh, that was good. Um, yeah, it was, it was a primal. But I, he, you know, that was actually turned out to be the... I don't want to give too much away, but actually turned... It's an old book. Uh, turned out to be the source of the fire of the Forge of Gauntelgrim, right? And and sure enough, I mean, the fact that Brunner was inadvertently the one that released the... I'm, I mean, first it was Athergate, then Brunner put it back, and it, it's just... I was able to come up with all this stuff, but really all they said for me was destroy Neverwinter. So I, I could write the story and destroy Neverwinter. And if, if Neverwinter wasn't a part of the book that I wrote, Gauntelgrim in particular, and, and then Neverwinter after it, if the game wasn't a part of it and none of that had come up... I would have written the same book. The characters were on the same journey. But some of the dressing of the book 
the 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 primordial the you know the whole releasing the volcano type of thing probably wouldn't have been there so again it's an instance where if we all know what's going on we can build on each other's work and make everything better Thanks for that. Um, it's always hard. It's always hard to, to leave characters behind, and and it was really it was especially bitter through through the transitions trilogy for me because I felt like it had been forced upon me. But then again, like I said, when I did it, I found myself going places I didn't know I was going to go and stretching, mm-hmm. and so it was a very positive experience. But I always thought in the back of my mind that the last book I wrote would would do what the companions did. And then when the Sundering came up, it just gave me the opportunity to not be the last book. And so I, I took a shot and I tried it. Uh, it's always hard to kill characters. And, you know, I, I love when people say, oh, yeah, you know, you guys can't leave anyone dead. Really, read my Demon Wars books and don't get attached. <laughs> you know? um, mm-hmm. it, not coincidentally, the first book in that series came out the same time as Game of Thrones. There must have been something in the air because we all got a little bloodthirsty. Kill, around. kill, 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 kill. kill. Um, So yeah, but I mean it's it's hard, and, and the thing the thing that's even hardest about it is the mail you get. I mean, the readers just mm-hmm. please bring this character back. You know, when are we going to find out about Catherine's kids? The readers care. They care. Um, you killed Chewie, you bastard. <laughs> they care. And Disney brought him back, and I'm off the hook. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, and look what it took to, to fix that. <laughs> I've been looking for a Wookiee. Anyone seen a Wookiee around the convention? <laughs> yeah. There is a Wookiee? Yeah. Um, no, it's not a it's not a picture, and I thought this would be the best. I got I get tagged with the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, and I was thinking if I had a Wookiee drop that bucket over my head, the Star Wars fans everywhere would yeah. say yes. So if you see those Wookies, one of them is in, in Bob's way. Yeah. <laughs> More questions? I'm not going to dominate this uh, Q and A. Apologize. How dare you, sir? <laughs> but. Uh, the Sundering, uh, and, and I'm a little fussy on the history, but is this the second Sundering? Uh, wasn't the one that occurred back about 20,000 years before the other? Yes. Yes. So, it might be the third. Nobody remembers. Yes. Yeah. Nobody remembers. <laughs> How does that play? Or will it play? And will that be a new series? Well, 20,000 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if 60, 20,000 years from now, then we've done it right. Is, it, is that a nugget, or is that something that will develop into something rather large? <laughs> I don't think we can answer that at this time. <laughs> no, but like, so, so the, the world, the, the, the two different worlds and how they interact with something that's, that has come up in the stories before, and there is a history there. Mm-hmm. Um, will, will, it, will it play into the future? It's like, well... They're both still there, like, and, and, I, and I think it would it would be untrue if I said the authors are going to ignore that forever. So it's it's 
it's it's a, it's a thing that's it's a it's a known part of the of the like, world, like the, the world they're writing in. So it, it it's very likely that that might come into play at some point. I think that's 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 the easy answer that doesn't really answer your question. It's one of the things I do, I guess. I don't know what I'm writing in the next chapter of the book I'm working on now. <laughs> so, so basically what it comes down to is this. We're going to go to them, and we're going to say, hey, look, here's this thing we want to do. And if they come back and say, we think it would be cool to do something with Abram Toro, then that's a discussion that happens right there, right? So, Yeah, I'll give you a definitive answer. If I'm still writing Forgotten Realms when I'm 120, I'll bring them together again. <laughs> and the cataclysm will destroy him one. There yeah. we go. He will get his moon destroyed. Yeah. Yep. I'll, pin, I'll crush the moon between them. <laughs> He'll drop it on a Wookiee. <laughs> so we have to bring the Wookiees to, to the realm. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. New player class. Didn't Paul do something to a moon in one of his recent books? Or was it just a, one of the constellations or something? I think it was, it was he moved the satellite around. Yeah, Constellation. Yeah, hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah, but there was a more recent novel where, where Paul did some stuff. So there is some, there, there is some chicanery with, with something that's fly, flying around the planet. That's the closest we've got to destroying it. <laughs> Not that you needed to know that. Apparently. Any more questions? <coughs> Sir? Will we see a, kind of a timeline on the suffering events and the adventures? <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably see about 12. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's an interesting question. Like, it, it goes back to that unmentioned question in the unreliable narrator stuff. I think, it's, I, I think it would be cool for us to get something like that to you guys. So you can, so you can say stuff like, I want to play in this period. Or I want to play in that period. Um, I'll bring it up again see, see what's going on. I can't answer your question definitively because I can't say yes, it's coming out. But I think that would be cool. Oh, come on, throw them a bone. The lore exists. Yeah, yeah, the lore exists. It's just, it's just putting it all together and, yeah. and, and mapping it and getting, getting yeah. it out to you. So that's what you say. It's like it's there. Uh, but uh, getting someone to do all that and do it, do it correctly and, and, and not have some misconceptions and incorrect stuff there, that's the difficult part. You, you do have to be, yes, you do have to be a, what I would call a lore expert. And those people exist, and we know them, and they're great people. So it's just getting them in the building and getting all that, all that done. Yeah, part of that is, is so you can pick up the adventure, and, and if it doesn't have any defining thing in it, you can kind of play it in a different area of the realm, so you don't easily, without, without feeling like you're shoehorned into, well, I have to play it here, or I have mm-hmm. to play it there. Right. Mm-hmm. You start in the yellow. Uh, how's your meta experience? How's, how's Not a single troll. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they came on after I got off the Reddit, but it was, it was good. That was like my the fourth, third or fourth Reddit. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. No trolls. Um, since the realms have been out for quite some time, when you created it and then when you started writing in it, did you did any of you have like a, a vision or a desire for it to go a particular way? And then how do you like the new realms now as compared, as compared to 25 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> the realms, the realms was initially um, picked up for publication as a game line, as opposed to starring in Dragon Magazine in tiny little dribs and drabs, as 
the world setting for the second edition of the game, so that it was a kitchen sink world setting. It could have everything, the pirates, the jungles. And it was sold to the people inside the company who had used all of the company's resources for two years to create a single epic storyline in Dragonlance. One story. There's, this is the world of a thousand stories. This is a world of a thousand, thousand stories. And the editor said, hey, oh, you've got a double word here. No, 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 we meant to say <laughs> thousand, thousand stories. And therefore... I wasn't looking for the realms to go in any direction other than to cover the entire map and have... I want Volos source guides for every little inch of the map. I want things to go, and I want to keep on expanding the coverage. But other than that, I don't care, because I want to see the world unfold as a living thing in front of my eyes. That, to me, is the magic that having it be a shared world and that other people have brought to the table has brought to me. So I don't have one uh, spine of story, an epic, that I want to happen. Um, if I was writing Game of Thrones, I don't want it ever to end. When all the fighting's done, I'm just as interested in who's left <laughs> and what goes on after that. It's, it's, a, it's about the road goes ever on and on. So I don't have a, a direction for the realms. I just want the realms to be there as a home we can all play in forever. It's a modest goal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like Cleef to be the emperor. <laughs> well, for me, a re really weird thing happened a few years ago when they did the collected stories of The Legend of Dritz because they asked me to go back and annotate it and go through and what, what, you know, do a page before each one. What were you thinking, what were you thinking when you wrote this story? And so now, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm going back to stories like The First Notch, which I wrote for Dragon Magazine, like 1988 oh, wow. or something. And so I'm going back over all these stories, and a really weird thing happened to me when, when I was doing that, is I had this epiphany that what I'm doing as a writer is, is not, it's not my job. It's like my journey through life, right? And it's like all these characters that I create, what I'm really doing with all these characters, they're nothing more than me for vehicles to tell me what I know. So what I do with all the characters that I create, whether it's in the realms or Demon Wars or Crimson Shadow or any of the other things I'm doing, is I take these characters that I've come to know and love and I throw things at them because I need them to answer them. Really what I'm doing is answering it for myself. So it's like my way of making sense out of the world is writing. So it really wouldn't matter where the realms are going as long as my characters were going where I wanted them to go emotionally. You see? Because the setting is... is I, I love the realms because there's, I can always find a hole to hide in, away from everything that's going on if I'm not syncing up with it in my story. There's always yeah. a section of the map that just hasn't been filled in yet. Exactly. And, and, I mean, we did the same thing with Tyranny. There were a few towns we wanted to burn that weren't big-name towns. We just wanted a small start. And we hid in the corners a little bit for the adventure. Yeah, you right? have to. Yeah. And I guess my goal with sort of adventure writing has been, well, let the villains have their moment. Right? And maybe that's, I hope that's not me uh, writing my personal questions and answering them, because <laughs> coming from a pretty dark and draconic side. But um, for the most part, the realms is a place of bright lights and heroism and the good guys win. Um, but when I'm doing game design, I, I try to at least give the game master, the dungeon master, a chance to have a scenery-chewing speech, right? Some sort of great moment of wahaha. <laughs> um, because they, they deserve their moment too, not just the player. They roll behind a screen. Yeah, they do roll behind they a screen. They don't need any help. It's <laughs> cheap. <laughs>
So we have time for one more question if we got one. Otherwise, we might end this and just have you guys come up here and mingle a little bit, talk with the guys before we end. But any other questions? Sir? It seems like the summit was really successful in creating a great storyline. Are those something they continue? They are continuing. Yeah. We just yeah. had another one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an integral part of, of, of how we work with these guys uh, going forward. It's we're not, We don't want to dictate to them this is what's happening anymore. It, it, there's a lot of, you guys do this. So what's coming next if we want to do X, right, kind of thing, so. Yeah. And then they argue with each other, and that's cool. They can do that. We probably have time for one more question, because that was great. Anybody? Fielder? So uh, during the Sundering, the population of Chosen in the realms kind of exploded. <laughs> um, and obviously, the ones who are protagonists of the book series are going to continue to be prominent figures. But do you guys expect that all these other ones that are in the background are going to keep popping up and playing you know, prominent roles in future stories, or do you think they'll take away something? Yeah, but it's like the league expanded, right? So the talent got watered down. And the Chosen aren't what the Chosen used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you used to think of the Chosen, they were almost like avatars or gods walking around, but they're not like that anymore. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah, you know better than I do. Tell them about the Chosen. We had a good answer yesterday, too, about yeah. all the Chosen show. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you read between the lines during the Herald, and you read between the lines, well, actually, the last three books of the Sundering, um, remember they were chosen were being gathered together in a concentration camp okay um, the life expectancy of chosen is decreasing markedly in that the last little bit of the sundering so literally a lot of people who were chosen um, are gone now a lot of other people thought they were chosen but it turns out they were how shall I say it deluded <laughs> or they were puppets of various, I don't know, priests who saw themselves lo- losing power and said, okay, I've got, I need a chosen. I need a chosen in my temple. You, you look like a strong, manly girl. Here, you're my chosen. <laughs> you know, and, and those, sometimes a deity said, oh, I'm going to teach you a lesson to the priest. He didn't say it directly. He just made sure that that chosen did exhibit enough powers to make the priest go, oh, what have I done? You know, but in other cases, yeah, there's a leveling effect, and there there are and there's the other thing. The chosen of Mistra are different from all the other chosen, in that they hold a portion of her power, not because she doled it out, but because to keep her from becoming too powerful, some of her power was vested in mortals, whereas many of the chosen of other gods are in effect champions of that god. They are empowered by the god to go forth and do things for them. And so some deities work that way with champions, and some deities don't. And one of the lessons that is coming out of the Sundering, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in my next novel, and it's a lesson that not all deities will learn and not all deities will agree with, but it is becoming apparent to some deities that the more they meddle directly with mortals, the more they taint those mortals. So that when they try and do something, it never works out right. From the, from the point of view of us in the real world, it's like, I'm going to write a book and it's going to be a bestseller. I'll just sit down and do that. You can't get from there to here. It doesn't work that way. And if you try, you usually mess up. And that's what the deities are beginning to realize. The more they 
walk among mortals as avatars and, and issue pronouncements and do things directly, the more they screw up, the more they, they doesn't work out the way they want it's it. The, the more old adage. Yeah. yeah. The, more, the easiest way to show your weakness is to show your strength. Right? If you've got the military that everybody in the world is afraid of and you go and use it, they're going to start figuring out how to get under your military. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah. the truism about life. And so a lot of chosen can be a bad thing because mm-hmm. you'll, be, you'll be showing the, under, the, the, the soft underbelly of the god. Yeah. So I would think the, the short answer is they're going to be a lot fewer chosen. And what a chosen is is going to become a lot less clear to the general population because there'll be some chosen who sit inside a temple and are in effect function as oracles or healing machines. And there'll be other chosen who are like Elminster was for years. They walk around and do weird little things behind the scenes. And then there are other chosen, you know, so they're all going to be different. You're going... Wait, you're calling yourself a chosen? And then you, you say, oh, I'm just, this guy is no chosen. This chosen is a brigand. I'm just a bully. I'm just going to push him over. And then you run your sword through him, and it melts away, and he's unharmed. But nothing else happens, and you go, ooh, I think the god just told me something. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so, so it, it, and we want to leave things like that in the realm so we can tell more stories. So there aren't clear and definitive things. Great. We are hitting our time, and we are going to have some people come in here uh, in a moment. But yeah, please feel free. Come up, say hi, uh, uh, introduce yourselves, talk to these, these great guys. Thank you guys all for coming. Yeah, uh, okay. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.